You're listening to Radio Influence. This is the Valor Hour on Radio Influence. Your weekly glimpse inside all things Valor Fights and a look at what's going on in the rest of the MMA community. Now, here's your host, Tim Loy. Welcome to another edition of the Valor Hour. I'm your host, Tim Loy. I'm joined by my co-host, Justin Watson, and we're coming off of another UFC event in between UFC events, actually. We're going to recap that and uh, preview uh, this week's action, uh, Bellator and UFC, as well as a special guest interview coming up here uh, here in about 10 minutes or so. We're going to have Zach Fox on the line. catch up with him uh hear about some of his travels to thailand for training and also uh you know check in on uh, the training that he's been doing with some of his fighters that he's got competing uh, on valor here in a couple weeks so that'll be coming up here in just a bit uh justin how's it going my man uh going pretty good man looking forward to getting back up there and, and watching some fights pretty soon yeah, we're just about two and a half weeks out at this point from Valor 73. It's an all-amateur show, but it's it's loaded, man. It's it's a badass card going down at the world-famous Cotton-Eyed Joe on September the, the 4th. That's Saturday, and then eight days later, we'll be back in Chattanooga for the first time in about a year with uh, Valor 73. I'm oh, sorry, it's Valor 72 in Knoxville, or uh, Valor 73 in Chattanooga. Uh, big big night of fights on both of those cards. We're going to be talking to uh, several of the participants in the coming weeks. I know next week we've got uh, Tank Wilson that's going to join us as well as his opponent, Logan Dean. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, let's dive in. Before we talk to Zach, man, let's uh, catch up on the Contender Series. We had an event here a couple nights ago. It was the third week of the Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series coming off of a week where we had uh, all five of the uh, – uh, contestants, if you will, get contracts. So, uh, you know, there was a it was a big week of uh, action to, to live up to in this one. Uh, we were kicked off with a fight that was rescheduled from a few weeks ago. It was uh, Kevin Seiler taking on Kenny Cross, the boss cross. And uh, the odds were really close on this one. Uh, they pretty much opened him as a pick and it was a relatively close fight back and forth. But ultimately, it was Kenny Cross that got the decision win. Um, you know, I was expecting him to strike a lot more than he did, but ultimately, uh, you know, he he used his wrestling a lot in this one. After that, we had the first of two. Uh, I think it was after, yeah. After that, we had the first of two brothers fight. We had the the Kosi brothers, and these guys uh, they're from California. They're uh, they're both undefeated. They're six and zero. Oh. It was Louis Kosi and uh, his brother or Orion Kosi, and these guys, uh, you know, looking at him like just on topology and whatnot because it was hard to find. A whole lot of uh, a whole lot of information on them or footage. Uh, they, to me, it looked like they were kind of can crushers, man. It didn't look like they had uh, you know really fought a whole lot of uh, tough competition and and hadn't really uh, you know showed a whole lot as far as uh, uh, seasoning goes lead, leading up to this one. But man, they both looked really good. Uh, it was Orion that fought first. Uh, no, actually, am I skipping a fight here? Actually, yeah. I am. I'm skipping the heavyweights, now or not? Well, we'll do the heavyweights next. It was Josh Parisian and Chad Johnson that was next. Josh Parisian is a guy that we saw on the Ultimate Fighter and also on um, a Contender Series as well out of Michigan. And uh, man, he just beat the shit out of Chad Johnson. Like Chad Johnson was like way overmatched here. He got on top. He had like fifty pounds on him. Finished him off ground and pound first round. After that, it was uh, Orion Kosey getting a come from behind win over the heavily favored Matt Dixon, who was nearly three to one in that fight. Kosey comes back, uh, lost. I thought he lost the first round, but after that, he really he really turned it on and uh, got a TKO with, from Crucifix uh, in the third round. And then it was Cheyenne Bays getting a unanimous decision win over a pretty tough Hillary Rose, but she really looked good. She uh, she lit her up out there. Uh, really good uh, prospect there at one fifteen. And in the main event, it was Lewis Kosey with a, a very quick knockout, man. He just ran through Victor Reyna, who I thought Victor Reyna was going to be pretty tough. I actually thought Reyna would win that fight. But uh, Kosey uh, upset the apple cart and got the uh, the knockout win out of all these guys. Four of the five got contracts. The only one not to get a contract was uh, Orion Kosey, which I'm actually kind of surprised uh, because um, I thought that was kind of the gimmick here. You know, are we not trying to give brothers contracts? Uh, your thoughts on Contender Series, Justin? Where are you getting your information at? I don't know. What uh, what uh, what did what did I get wrong? 
Orion got a contract. Uh, the Kenny Cross did not get a contract. Oh, was Kenny Cross that didn't get a contract? I could have yeah. tore that. I, I read that uh, that Cross got one. Are you sure? Yeah, he didn't get one. Dan said he wasn't very impressed. Orion almost didn't get one because at the end of the second round, it was like three seconds left. And he looked up at the clock and just like touched gloves, re- reached out to touch gloves, and Dixon obliged, and they both just walked back to their corner. And I guess oh, Dana wow. said it. At that point, Dana said, I'm not signing this kid no matter what. But in the third round, he came out and did what he did and got the finish. And then, uh, they, but Dana signed him. He, Josh Parisian, Orion, um, Cheyenne Bays, and Lewis Costco. Well, those are the people that I think should have been signed because I yeah. wasn't that impressed with Cross either, to tell you the truth. But uh, I was, you know, in, in fairness, I didn't wait. To, I watched the fights, but then I didn't wait to see the announcements. I started watching something else and I went back to MMA Mania to get their uh, results. And they said that, uh, that those were the four that got them. So uh, fuck you, MMA mania for the, for making me look like an idiot. That's funny. Orion and, and Lewis, man, they stole the night. Both those guys were underdogs coming in. Um, Orion was a much bigger underdog and, you know, he had some adversity in the first round. I think it was, you know, he was pretty clearly beaten there. Um, but then the second round, he just came in and pushed the pressure and, um, you know, was winning the second round and then got the finish in the third. Uh, and then, you know, uh, one fight later gets to go back and, and watch his brother get a quick uh, TKO as, as an underdog himself. And then both those guys get a contract. They've got a crazy story. Um, so I think they were they were really uh, they really got a, a good deal on those boys. But um, Parisian looks good, man. You know, he's had a few opportunities and, um, it, you know, he finally got got one. Um, now, you know, in UFC proper, and we'll see what he can do with it. Cheyenne Bays looked great, uh, you know, just dominated. Um, Hillary Rose, Rose, you know, jumped guard, jumped guard a, a few times and was going for some flying arm bars and stuff, but um, Cheyenne, Cheyenne Bays was, you know, pretty dominant on, on top, and when she was, when they were on the feet, you know, she was pressing forward and giving her those hands, so um, she got signed, too, and it should be uh, an interesting uh addition to that uh, weight class. Any of these people uh, look like uh, future contenders or is it just too early to tell for most? Um, Orion and, and Lewis are going to be the ones that are, will probably have the hardest time getting to contendership, you know, being at welterweight, it's just such a stacked division for Cheyenne Bays and, and Josh Parisian. They both could have quick, quick uh, routes to, uh, you know, legitimate top contender fights. Um, but for Orion and, and Luis, I think it's going to be a much tougher road. Looking at this week's lineup for the contender series, we've got uh, Colin Huckbody versus Kyron Bowen at middleweight. We've got Anthony Romero versus Mike Breeden at lightweight. Jeffrey Molina versus Jacob Silva at flyweight. Uh, another lightweight bout is Rafael Alves versus Alejandro Flores. And then the main event is middleweights. Jonathan Pati takes on a guy from your neck of the woods out there. And uh, I think he's in Raleigh, old Jamie Pickett. Um, that's the only name that, that stands out to me is Jamie Pickett. I'm, I'm familiar with him. Any of these guys uh, move the needle with you? No, I'm not not familiar with anybody. I haven't looked into them yet, though. We'll, uh, we'll recap that uh, week four next week uh, for the Contender Series. See uh, how many more contracts they can give out. And uh, with that, let's move on to our uh, to, to our interview we've got this week and, and get Zach Fox on the line. All right, joining us here on the Valor Hour, we have got Muay Thai specialist Zach Fox in the house. Zach, how's it going, buddy? It's going great. I'm good to hear from you guys. Good, man. Good. I think this is the first time we've ever had you on. So uh, welcome aboard here. Always a pleasure to talk to you. For those out there that aren't familiar with Zach, he is he's kind of like... Uh, our area is like uh, guru when it comes to Muay Thai. He's like uh, very, very, uh, you know, in, in submerged in the culture and the uh, and also the fighting style. Of course, if you've not ever seen him fight, it's always a pleasure. Zach, before we get going here, I'm gonna let you give uh, our listening audience a little bit of background. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about yourself, and how you got into the sport. I know you're a guy that. Um, a bit of a late bloomer. It's not like you've been doing this since you were a child, uh, you know, but uh, you've really uh, jumped headfirst into it over the past few years. So uh, just give us a little background. Okay. Well, first off, uh, thank you very much for all your kind words. I really do appreciate it. But um, so pretty much when I was about 14 or 15 years old, um, I was introduced to Tyler Christman 
uh, he, he would teach class a couple times a week. We would go in and out. Uh, we would be training, but I was also doing other sports. And um, pretty much I started out, it was a hobby. Um, and then when I turned 18 years old, I actually made my debut fight. Um, still, you know, wasn't uh, necessarily living for it, but I definitely found uh, a, a love for it as soon as I started competing. I mean, like, it, it was amazing. So, um, yeah, from that point forward, I've just been improving, uh, doing my best every single day. But I didn't necessarily start out the best, you know. Like, I struggled more so with uh, the anxiety and things like that. Like, I had the physicality. I had the work ethic. I had the determination. But I really struggled during competition. And, uh, Tim, you actually helped me uh, tremendously with all that, you know, continually pushing me and trying to get me to compete more and more, you know, telling me I needed more corner time. That That's really what I needed to hear. I uh, took your advice, and I just uh, went from there. So, yeah, I'm living for it every single day now. Of course, Zach, you uh, are training up there in Kentucky, like you mentioned, with Tyler Chrisman at the Lee Kickboxing Academy. Tell us a little bit about that gym. You know, you, you guys are a smaller gym, not not a whole bunch of members over there, but everybody that you guys send out there, uh, you can always guarantee that they're going to be prepared, they're going to be ready, they're going to be respectful, they're going to be in shape. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, your, your training situation up there. Okay. Um, so our gym, um, whenever we first got started, like I said, I was around 14 years old. We probably had two heavy bags, a small matted area. Uh, you know, we really didn't have any equipment. Uh, we started out with zero funds, zero money, and then we've all worked together as a team to build up the gym. And, uh, we're really trying to help our community, uh, our community, you know, we're really trying to make an impact around there. But yeah, like you said, we don't have a high uh, number of fighters Our um, our entire community population is probably around seven to 8,000 people. Um, so our area is super small, but every fighter that we do have, they all are uh, very consistent and driven. Um, you know, we're running every day, sparring every day, clinching every day, pad training every day. Um, and then, you know, we try to stay as active as possible with competition. So yeah, we all, um, like we do have low numbers, but there's, a uh, there's a very good work ethic in our gym. You know, now we built the gym to where our entire area is matted. We have as many heavy bags, all the equipment that we need. We're doing uh, kids' classes. So we're really trying to impact the children and the kids in our area, but we're also working with the teens and the adults as well. So. That's awesome, man. It's definitely good to hear, and it's a good way to, to get that community support rallied behind your group there, for sure, which is always important when you live in a small town like that. You know, small towns like that, they they yearn for something to rally around. Yes, sir. That's exactly what they need around here also. So uh, let's talk, you know, uh, you're a guy that I brag on a lot on here. You know, you're a guy that if I had, if I could give out like a most improved fighter of the year every year, you would probably win it like every year, which is saying something, honestly, because it just speaks volumes for the amount that I've seen you grow over the years. You know, you went from a guy that, you know, I kind of uh, I always kind of clocked you as a guy that, you know, you're long, you're tall, you're rangy, you, you provide some physical um, problems for a lot of people at your weight class. But it, uh, but it, but it, until about two years ago, I still just kind of had you as like a mid tier guy. But there's something that has, that has clicked over the last couple of years to where now you've become like the guy. You really, to me, you're like you're the top guy around here when it comes to tie, uh, especially as an amateur. Uh, you know, uh, t- what do you think was like the the tipping point? What was uh, was there something or a, a, a moment that you just all of a sudden uh, something clicked or was it is it just an accumulation of uh, you know grinding away over the years? You know, um, I would have to say uh, my mom, my mother. She she definitely had a large impact on uh, my thought process. You know, like I lost my mom um, at a young age. However, she uh, she fought against cancer for a long time. And, uh, yeah, she was, she was, uh, she had a very big heart, you know, a strong heart. Um, and, and my father, he has a very good work ethic. So, you know, he always had me working for things. Um, and like I said, when I first started competing, I, I had a passion already for, for the training aspect. I've always loved Muay Thai. I love the mentality of Muay Thai. You know, I love, I'm, I'm very passionate about the sport, but when I was competing, um, it really unlocked uh, it really unlocked a lot for me, you know, and it, and it was one fight. Um, it was in Nashville, actually, uh, and I was fighting against Ben Sharp. So when I was fighting against Ben Sharp, um, I really was like, I don't even know how to explain it. I basically was having a panic attack inside competition after the first round, you know, um, and I would struggle as soon as the round, the first round, I would, I would always fight strong, um, and then I would break during corner time. 
So during that fight, um, I really just realized that I needed to believe in myself. You know, like I, I was fighting well, but my biggest enemy was my thoughts. You know, like I was struggling more with just self-control than I really was the opponent himself, you know, or the competition itself. It was really just um, me working against me. So once I once I realized that, you know, I have the work ethic, I have the dedication, um, you know, I, all I need is the belief. So, you know, the belief has really took me, um, took me leagues, I feel. Of course, my co-host here, Justin Watson, he's uh, one of our judges on most of our cards. I'm sure he's judged uh, several of your fights. Justin, what you got for our guys, Zach? Hey, man, how's it going? It's going great, Justin. Good to hear from you. Yeah, man. It's cool you talk about that with the anxiety. You know, when I when I competed, I had that same problem. And something a lot of people don't think about, you know, just um, it, the mental aspect is a huge part of the game, you know, and training that is just as important as, as any of the other skills. Um, I love the, the way, you know, how you de- dove into to Muay Thai the way you have. And, um, you know, you I follow you on Instagram and stuff. I see, you know, you went over to Thailand. Tell us a little bit about that. About that experience you know going over there and um just being immersed in the culture and and uh the way of life and and everything yeah so um to, you know thailand I, I honestly can't even uh put into words you know i'll give a shout out to um Sijipo, Muay Thai. um but one one big um thing about thailand is you don't um necessarily stand out for working extremely hard you know they um and winning you know winning isn't number one um at Sijipo. they they pretty much taught me um a lot about ego you know like through s he, he believes if you strive to win only um then and, you know you have an ego for winning he considers winning ego um then you're going to suffer a lot throughout your career so he believes fighting people on your level or even people above you you know to to pull you up and that's one big thing even back home um where i've always been an away guy you know traveling to tennessee and other areas i'm always fighting the hometown guy so it's always good competition um but yeah six days a week uh you get sunday off but six days a week wake up begin your run at 6 30 you usually run you know 6 to 11k in the morning come back jump rope 10 minutes about 300 skip knees go straight into pad training 30 minutes sparring 30 minutes clinching 100 push-ups 200 crunches more skip knees you know it's and it's consistent in the evening uh, it's about 100 degrees or so um super hot super humid over there and uh, actually whenever i travel this was my first time ever traveling you know period so i was just so excited you know whenever i got there so I show up to Bangkok airport about 1.30 a.m. Um, I traveled for 24 hours. I message Gruff. He tells me to wait at the airport till 6 a.m. to take a bus, and I was just too excited, so I found a way to find a taxi, although I, I don't speak any Thai, you know, whenever I first got there. So struggled. I struggled hard with that. But everybody, um, super nice, um, super humble. You know, every every everybody that I encountered over there was just so friendly. And, uh, yeah, and their way of life is, is truly beautiful it makes it a much more enjoyable process to do Muay Thai there because you don't have to do the day job you know Muay Thai is your day job you you train six days a week you fight you know two times a month and then you can support you know yourself your family there over here it's a little bit more difficult financially but you know all, all everybody that wants it bad enough finds a way to make it happen so yeah um I would recommend anybody that wants to uh to fulfill their dream with doing Muay Thai to, to definitely travel to Thailand and, and give it a chance and see, see how they like living as, you know, a professional Muay Thai fighter does over there. Um, definitely a lot about respect. Um, but like I said, everybody's super humble. However, um, I do plan to go back to Thailand each year, you know, um, but I'm not going to move to Thailand. I'm going to try to bring as much back as I can possible to our community and definitely try to help the sport of Muay Thai grow, you know, in our region, because there's a lot of talent here. There's a lot of, a lot of good Muay Thai fighters and they don't really, you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard to, uh, to do it as a living because like I said, they have to work the day job and all of that. So but it is possible. Anything's possible here also. That's wild, man. I bet it was, uh, some something special you know to be just a kid from small town kentucky and traveling across the oceans and you know being in thailand uh in a place that you're unfamiliar with you know that took a lot of uh took a lot of courage you know not only 
just having the opportunity and, and making it happen for yourself to get the finances to go, but then stepping out and taking the, the risk and, and putting yourself out there like that. Um, you got a couple guys coming up, uh, you know, Chance Keller um, and um, and Derek Smith, you know, a couple guys that, that have been, been with you for a while, uh, also just doing the Muay Thai thing. Um, just tell us a little bit about their training camp and, and how they've been preparing for this and, and what we can expect to see. Okay, so uh, first off, I want to give a shout-out to both of them. Um, I am very proud of how far that they came. But, yeah, their training camp, um, both of them are super dedicated. Uh, definitely very excited for September 4th. We always love coming down and competing for you guys. But training camp every single day, um, we're running. Uh, usually we'll, we'll go in, like I said, jump ropes, skip knees, straight into pad training. We do sparring every day, clinching every day at home. Um, and then – we also do personals, so we usually meet up every single morning for, for morning training, and then in the evening time, we can really get in good personal pad training, you know, five and ten rounds of freestyle uh, freestyle pad training. It's um, the way that I really like to train and the way that I like to teach isn't so systematic, you know. It's really, you, you find what feels natural to the fighter, you let them believe in that, and you build them up, you know, good balance, good composure, good respect, good power, you know, that's... That's the most important. And yeah, Chance, um, Chance has a big heart. He, uh, he fights more so, uh, Muay Cal style. So for anybody that doesn't necessarily know a lot about, you know, Muay Thai styles, Muay Cal is forward pressure. He, use, he utilizes a lot of knees, um, you know, fast punches. He's got a strong left kick, but you know, forward, forward, you can expect Chance to, uh, to put the pressure on his opponent September 4th. And Derek, uh, is very good technical style. You know, Moy Famir, he likes a very strong right kick, good counterattack, good balance, good composure. So expect Derek to put on a, a beautiful performance as well. Sounds good, man. Can't wait to see you guys in action again. Awesome. So, yeah, so, 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 Zach, let's, uh, one more thing I wanted to cover here with you before we let you go. You know, it's obvious that uh, at this point you've kind of ran your course, I feel like, as an amateur. You fought about everybody there is to fight around here as an amateur to the point where it's gotten, you know, nigh impossible to, uh, to get anybody to fight you. You've got a lot of experience. Uh, I think guys look at you and, uh, you know, look at your uh, social media and things like that. And they see that, you know, you are, you're about that life. And so, uh, it's become kind of difficult to, to match you as an amateur. I know you want to make that professional jump. We'd originally gotten something to sit up with you and Jason King and then, uh, the, the COVID, uh, scrapped the card. And then Jason King got moved over to, to fight Greg Hopkins for the, for the MMA title. So, uh, it's been a lot of, a lot of movement, man. I appreciate your patience through it all, but talk a bit about, uh, you know, going pro, uh, you feel like that's going to, uh, allow for you to, to get some more opportunities. I feel like your, your skill, enough guy to where you know you get two or three four fights here locally surely get some opportunities with a line fight or something like that i would imagine yes sir um so you know i'm you already know tim how excited i am uh for my professional debut uh one of the biggest things about going pro is it's definitely going to help out financially you know because i work uh, my job on the weekend so most spot trips i have to schedule and take off work and before it got so difficult for us to keep fights um, you know, you were keeping me a fight almost every month for a while. And then, like you said, we kind of just I fought against almost all the locals and, you know, pretty much the top tiers around. So, yeah, going going pro will definitely help out financially, but it will also guarantee competition. And speaking of line fights, I have uh, spoken with the matchmaker before, and they are interested. Um, but they're having a lot of issues also with the COVID situation. You know, COVID-19 has really caused a lot of issues oh, yeah. for – all the fighters so you know to all the fighters just hang in there we'll all get through it for sure just keep training um but yeah professional you know i'll, I'll be ready anytime so super excited well folks definitely watch for uh for zach to make that pro debut in the fall down here with us we're excited for that uh zach before we let you go man i want you to uh, give some shout outs where they're due any love you want to give to sponsors training partners friends and families that have uh, supported you and then wrap it up by letting our listeners know where they can keep up with you and your uh your journey on social media okay um so i will give a shout out to my home camp uh lka lee kickboxing academy um I love my team. I'm, I'm very proud of all my teammates. Um, super supportive. And, yeah, our gym owners and head coach, Tyler Christman, 
he's uh, he's really impacted our community, and I'm I'm super excited just to continually go uh, forward with my team. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to my girlfriend Adora. She helps me a lot um, as far as my recovery and my meals. Uh, my brother uh, Jeremy Fox, he's actually doing his own thing with bodybuilding. He definitely helps me out a whole lot with uh, with my nutrition and recovery. Also, all my friends and family, I love you guys. Um, we're going all the way to the top. And then, uh, yeah, for any of the for the fighters that's just getting started, uh, number one, believe in yourself and keep going. For you guys that want to follow me on social media, Zach Fox, uh, I do have a Facebook. And then my Instagram is foxy underscore A underscore LKA. And uh, I'm continually posting training footage. So if you guys do take a liking to my style, you should be able to pick up, you know, a lot from the footage that I share. So hopefully I can impact some lives throughout the journey. And I uh, greatly appreciate you guys bringing me on here. Once again, this has been up and coming Muay Thai prospect, Zach Fox. Zach Fox, thanks so much for the time, man. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys uh, down here in uh, Knoxville here in a couple short weeks. Yes, sir. We'll see you on September 4th. And we're bringing the heat, Tim. All right. Thanks so much to our guest this week, Zach Fox. Uh, make sure you follow him on social media. He's definitely uh, a guy that is really uh, taking uh, the full leap of faith into this into this whole Muay Thai journey. And I'm uh, looking forward to seeing him get that pro debut uh, down here very soon. And also uh, looking forward to seeing what a couple of his protégés can do down here in just a couple short weeks. Uh, let's jump into our recap of uh, the UFC from here. It was UFC 252 uh, pay-per-view card and, uh, of course, headlined by uh, the big one, man, the uh, the uh, penultimate battle in the trilogy between uh, champion Stipe Miocic and challenger Daniel Cormier. We got a five-round decision here. It was a unanimous decision. Stipe Miocic takes it, not without some controversy, of course, Um this this card at the top was was full of controversy, but uh, you know we had it. We had some eye pokes, man. It was uh, it was a it was a real bad. Well, first DC poked Miocic in the eye, but then after that DC took like a real egregious poke in the eye. Uh, definitely impacted. I feel like uh, his ability throughout the fight. Uh, it was never called. On top of that, uh, that said, don't want to take anything away from Steve Bay. Fought a great fight. I thought DC fought a good fight too. I thought that he fought. Uh, you know, he was able to conserve that gas tank, which I think was a big question leading up into into this uh, into this fight is whether or not he could fight at that pace for five rounds. Um, you know, your thoughts on this one, Justin? I, I had Stipe out, so I was happy I was right. But, uh, you know, obviously I would have rather us not have that uh, the eye poke that impacted things. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think it definitely played a factor. Um, I think D.C. had already gotten tagged in that eye a couple of times, so it was already kind of compromised. The eye poke definitely didn't help, but um, it's kind of part of it. I mean, in the last fight, DC eye poked Stipe like 12 times or something. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he did it first in this fight. It was, you know, I, it's just one of those things that happens. I don't know. It, it's hard to, you know, you're using your hand to keep it out there as a feeler and to, and to find your range. and But with your fingers up, that just doesn't really work that way. And so guys end up putting their fingers out and then they get ran into or uh, whatever. So, um, but it was an excellent fight. Um, you know, I think Daniel, um, you know, he, he wasn't able to, to really do much in the wrestling department. I think Stipe was, he could tell that Stipe was ready uh, for the attack. And it was kind of seemed like he was relying on just a big overhand right um, that he, he caught Stipe with a couple of times. Uh, but Stipe was just the movement and stuff was, was there. Um, the fight at range was all Stipe. Um, you know, when he, when he could keep his distance from, from Daniel, he was tagging him and, um, you know, I think Stipe looked pretty good, but it's kind of crazy to me, man. You know, both these guys came in super light. Stipe came in at two thirty three, And if he's going to fight Francis again, next, you know, Francis, I mean, they fought before, but Stipe was a little bigger. I think Stipe was pushing two fifty then. Um, but at two thirty three, and Francis, cutting weight down to 265 it's going to be a big boy in there with him man um it'll be a, a tough problem to solve but i had stipe winning um four out of the five rounds i think daniel won the person stipe recovered and um you know changed it up a little bit and and, and won the rest of the fight so uh do you think that this is it for dc afterward you know he said this is going to be his last fight he only had interest in fighting for titles and he just didn't see that being 
you know, an option now? Do you think he's truly done or do you think he's done for a while and maybe down the road, you know, there's a fight that interests him to get him back? I don't know, man. It's a tough call. The only way that, like, he's obviously not going to fight for a title again next. It wasn't, you know, there was controversy, I guess, in the outpoke, but it's not worthy of, of another fight. Um, but John just let go of the belt and said he's moving up to heavyweight. That's kind of been the talks is that Dana was going to throw a bunch of money at DC for a, a, a third fight with Jones at heavyweight. I have a hard time seeing him take the fight, if I'm honest, just because, you know, I think the competitor in him doesn't want to go out like this. I think that it definitely doesn't want to go out on a third loss to John Jones. Right. Um, so, you know, I see him, I see him staying retired. Uh, I think that's a smart play for him, you know, financially. And um, there, there's just no reason for him to keep getting hit in the head at this point, you know, taking those kind of shots. He's 41 years old and, um, you know, he's, he's got plenty of um, plenty of avenues for revenue in, in other uh, facets of his life. So, I hope that he uh, I hope he stays retired. Do you think Stipe did enough here in this fight to lay claim to the uh, greatest heavyweight of all time? Yeah, I think so. I think he already had it. I think he already was, and this just kind of cemented it. Um, you know, if you look at Daniel's record in the UFC, he's not beat, you know, he competed at heavyweight when he first came in. He, he beat uh, Frank Mir and, and Big Country and a couple guys, but um, he hasn't fought there in a long time, obviously, and then you know, just fought Stipe and, and uh, Derek Lewis um, in this last stint. But if you look at, you know, those few fights early, he did fight some legends early in the UFC. And then outside the UFC, you know, he beat who I think is is one of the all-time greatest, heavy, you know, top five greatest heavyweights of all time, I think, is Josh Barnett. And DC manhandled Josh Barnett. Yeah. And uh, so I think, I think this just proves – the point that Stipe is the best we've ever seen. I'm not looking forward to a fight with him and Francis. Uh, you know, the, the thing about Francis is, is that he's so dangerous at any given moment. If he lands a shot, um, that it doesn't really matter who the better fighter is. A lot of times Francis just needs to hit you. It, it doesn't right. really matter. You know, you can beat the shit out of him as much, you know, for five rounds, but if he hits you at, you know, four minutes and 58 seconds into the, fourth round fifth round you still get knocked out you still losing the fight so um it's a scary fight for stipe i think but uh but yeah i think stipe is the best we've ever seen all right moving on to the co-main event uh, another one with a little controversy it was a big upset here as the sugar show sean o'malley that train got derailed as uh, Marlon Cheeto Vera comes in as uh, one of the bigger underdogs on the card, gets a first round TKO, about 20 seconds left to go. A uh, little bit of, uh, a little bit of, uh, uh, I guess, speculation here. There was an injury uh, that Sean O'Malley suffered to his ankle area that uh, visibly uh, threw him off. Uh, you know, uh, about halfway through the round. Question, I guess, is and maybe this has been answered by now. And I just haven't seen it, but like, was that was he a victim of his own? you know, style and just like two, you know, obviously movement is a big part of Sean, of Sean O'Malley's uh, repertoire. And so uh, was he a victim of his own style, just too much movement? Or was that something that Cheeto Vera landed that uh, affected him? You know, uh, have you heard uh, if, if they've kind of determined that or not? Um, I don't really know why people are still going back and forth about it. It's pretty obvious to me. Cheeto landed a perfectly placed calf kick. We've seen those time and time again. There's there's one little spot close to the knee that if you kick it, it'll completely shut shut the foot down. We saw it with Michael Chandler um, against Brent Primus. We saw it with uh, Henry Cejudo and um, and Demetrius Johnson the first time. Henry was able to fight through it. It happened in the first round of Cejudo's fight. The exact same thing in both of those two examples. They rolled the ankle the same way. Everything was the same. So O'Malley's had an x-ray came out. There's there no damage to the foot. He did an, injure that foot before, but the injury that he had before was broken bones in the foot. And so they did, right. they, there aren't any breaks. So it's not a recurring in, injury as far as that goes. Um, he just, I don't think he's injured. I, I think that, um, you know, maybe he got a little sprain on his ankle or whatever, but nothing too bad. What happened is his foot shut down. It, it You hit that perennial nerve and the only place your foot can go is down. Just kind of mm. down and down and in. So as you go to step, 
you can't you really don't even have it's almost like the funny bone you know like when you hit that funny bone the way that that sends that shock through your arm you it's very, it. yeah it's very similar with the foot and the perennial nerve and um i mean it was just a beautifully executed kick and he wasn't able sean o'malley wasn't able to defend himself through the fury that came after it and then i think he got slept i, I think he was asleep on the mat due to some vicious elbows from Cheeto Vera at the end. But um, it was an attack by Cheeto that got him on his, on the mat to begin with. It wasn't – I don't think that it has anything to do with with an injury leading up to it or him rolling his ankle in the cage. I, I think he got shut down. You think that uh, the, whole, the way it went down is kind of taking some of the shine off the win for him? A little bit. That's why it confuses me that, that there is the narrative that – that it was a, uh, a like a turn like in his ankle. I mean, yeah, yeah, like, okay, he did turn his ankle. Everybody saw it the way he turned his ankle. But we saw um, Henry Cejudo and Michael Chandler do the exact same thing, put all their weight on that front leg, rolled the ankle, went to the ground, but they were able to pop back up, bounce around, switch stances. And, you know, Michael Chandler, I think, lost that fight, but <clears throat> Cejudo was able to, to rally back and, and still get the win four rounds later. Um, so I, I think it sucks for Cheeto, but it, you know, I think most people at the end of the day, when, when O'Malley was on the mat, Cheeto smashed him with some massive, massive elbows. And at that point, that foot was no longer a factor. He wasn't on it. So it, even if it is hurting, it's not, that, that, that is not keeping you from defending the shots on the ground and Cheeto smashed him there. Um, and I don't know. It, it was it was a a sore. Um, it, it was a tough loss for for Sean. I think going out like that, but for him, it, it, he's going to play it into his credit and and act like it was a fluke. But uh, I don't see him wanting that fight again. Yeah, I would I would agree. Is that something that you think the UFC tries to run back, uh, or do you think they'll just try to you know shoot him off in another direction later on down the road? It's they're gonna they'll be able to sell that fight so big if they can put O'Malley back on the right path and shoot him up into, into the top 10. Um, I think, I think uh, Cheeto, you know, with, with the law, so Cheeto should be undefeated in the weight class or he is undefeated in the weight class. His, his loss was to Song Yudong and it was a catch weight because Song missed weight. So that was actually um, up a weight class. But before that Cheeto was, um, Cheetah was in the top 15, and Song took that spot, even though they didn't fight at, at bantamweight because Song missed weight. And the decision was bullshit, but Song took his spot, so that popped him out of the top 15. But I think that he should have already been in the top 15, and this should bump him to the top 10. I think he should get a top, you know, seven, eight, nine guy next. Um, and I think he'll get through that, and then down the road, it'll set up for a big, uh, big fight, maybe for a number one contender or a title fight uh, eventually down the road and that they'll be able to market the rematch pretty well. I don't think they'll do it until then, though. Feature bow, heavyweights. It was Yarzinho Rosenstruck uh, with a uh, second-round TKO over Junior Dos Santos. I was on Dos Santos here. And tell you the truth, I, I thought Dos Santos was looking pretty damn good until he wasn't, you know. Like, I thought, honestly, he was winning the fight all the way up until that point. I didn't think Rosenstruck looked real comfortable. He was obviously dangerous at, at all times, but uh, I didn't think it was just a terrible performance by JDS. It just showed that his chin may be gone, but to me, I didn't feel like this is uh, a win that just really upped uh, Rosenstruck's stock in my eyes. No, man, it kind of sucks for him because it's it's similar. Well, I don't know if it sucks for him or if it's, or if it's awesome for him because, again, he was getting his ass whooped and comes back and, and wins by knockout and moves – moves past a dangerous, dangerous guy. He did that with, with, uh, over him, you know, and, yeah. um, I'm with you. I mean, DeSantos was winning every second of the fight until the last four. I mean, I was watching the people I was watching it with, you know, they were like, man, th I sh we both were just saying, you know, I just have a feeling DeSantos is, is owning him right now. I just have a feeling Rosenstruck's going to throw something and catch him and it's just going to be lights out. And that's what happened, man. And it was, uh, it was tough to watch. I don't know what happens with Dos Anjos. You know, I think he's still one of the best in the division. And it's just, it's just, he's just taking some tough losses. Um, but I don't, I think he'll be back uh, sooner than, sooner than later. 
Before that, we had Marab the Machine Davishvili with a, a just a great decision, uh, dominating decision win over John the Magician Dodson. Uh, pretty heavy favorite he was. Uh, there was some train of thought that Dodson would, would be uh, too experienced for him, but you know he was super quick. Uh, just not not you know if anything, this just showed Davishvili is like super quick too, uh, and just has a machine. Uh, I'm sorry, not a machine, a motor that doesn't stop. That guy is built for five round fights, man. Uh, who's gonna who's gonna figure this guy out? He's calling out obviously this is before sean o'malley fought so he he didn't know he was going to lose i'm sure he assumed he was going to win but uh he's calling out sean o'malley after this fight uh, guess who's not going to get to fight sean o'malley <laughs> yeah that that wasn't happening anyway I mean, yeah, right. if, if sean would have won there was no way they were doing that matchup that would have been another record-setting uh night of takedowns for marab i love the kid man he's he's an animal he, he's screaming in between rounds you know he's Screaming at the beginning of rounds. He's just so pumped up, so fired up, ready to go. And um, it was a little bit interesting in this fight. You know, we're used to seeing him land 10, 15 takedowns. Um, and he, he went for like 20. And Dodson just has amazing takedown defense. Yeah, he's so, like 18. yeah dude, he's so short. And, and even when he does, like there was several that Marab slammed him one time, but didn't get credit for a takedown because – he kind of he didn't control him to the ground. He slammed him down and let go, and John just popped right back up, you know. And there were several times he would post up on the hand, and Marab would be trying to pull his legs out, but he's just holding himself up on that hand and and stopping the ultimate takedown. Um, <clears throat> so it forced Marab to use you know use his striking, and I think that John Dodson is a super experienced guy. He's fought you know the best in the world, and um, for Marab to be able to to outstrike him, um, you know, Dodson really wasn't throwing much, wasn't landing much. I think the fear of the takedown was, was obviously there and, and keeping Dodson tentative. Um, but man, Marab's a machine dude. And, you know, like they gave him the right nickname. I, I feel sorry for whoever's fighting him next. Opening up the main card. This is where my night started to really turn sour. I was having a great night all the way up to this one. Uh, an upset here, according to the books, anyway. Daniel Pitt Pineda returns to the UFC after several years away and some uh, fights being overturned for being on the juice and all that good stuff. Comes in as a uh, one, maybe the biggest under, underdog on the card to uh, Herbert Burns, young, uh, younger brother Gilbert Burns. And, man, he... To me, it didn't look like Herbert Burns wanted to be out there. He missed weight the night before. Uh, never really threatened too much in this fight as Daniel Pineda with a very convincing second-round TKO. Uh, scores the upset in his return to the UFC and uh, takes a lot of the shine off of Herbert Burns, man. I'm, I am I went from being kind of a believer to maybe not a believer anymore. Yeah, so – those you, you flopped those two fights. Rob actually started the night out, and uh, Herbert oh, and, and Pineda were next. You're right, you're right, yeah. Um, but man, this blows my mind. It, you know, we saw it again on the contender series last night, um, with one of those Costco brothers. But so the way that Herbert Burns is finished, uh, you know, Pineda gets him, gets on top of him, gets him in a full crucifix, and is just slamming him with elbows and, and fists until the referee stops it. Herbert Burns is a super high-level black guy. Oh, yeah. The crucifix is very, very simple to get out of. You know, like, it, it, it was – he didn't even try. All you have to do is walk your legs over, hook a leg, and you can uh, you can pry an arm free and, and work to escape from there. But he didn't even go for it. I mean, it was just like he was content laying there. He, I think maybe – Yeah, maybe he just didn't put the work in in the camp. You know, that's kind of been the story has always been that – um, you know, Gilbert was just works a lot harder. Uh, yeah. the Herbert Burns was a lot more talented, but Gilbert works much harder. So, you know, I, I took kind of how I felt was that Herbert just didn't, wasn't taking it serious. Didn't take the weight cut serious. And Daniel Pineda is not somebody to get in there with. If, if you're not serious about coming to fight, cause that gets a killer. Oh yeah. hundred uh, percent finish rate. He continued that, uh, on the night and he made a, made a statement in his return. Undercard, uh, the main uh, feature bout on the undercard, we saw Vince P uh, from Hell Pichel get a, a unanimous decision win over Jim Miller. Uh, I was on Vince Pichel here. I like that. Uh, had to, This fight went, you know, like a lot of Jim Miller fights do. Uh, Jim Miller was 
is on his ass uh, for the first round, but he didn't get the decision. He started, I'm not, didn't get the submission. Sorry, uh, he started to started to fade as he uh, is apt to do. And uh, Vince Michelle just took it right to him with his own style. Like he just started like wrestling Jim Miller, <laughs> and it was uh, essentially made it the most difficult uh, fight he could make it to win, and still won. Uh, really good, good look from Vince Michelle, man. Uh, if he, we could see him more often uh then i feel like he would be a player he just he only fights like once every other year that he's like 37 but he's only got uh 13 14 fights yeah man and he was on the tough live season so yeah. that was that was with kiesa and i mean that was a long time ago yeah and you know I, I talk about it every time we talk about him vince is a killer and he's he's so underrated because he just hasn't been able to fight that much and his wrestling is is great he's so strong for that for that weight division, anybody that talks about him just talks about how physically strong he is. Um, and it was kind of interesting that, that Gregor Gillespie wrestled him, wrestled, fucked him as hard as he did, you know, and got the submission uh, because Vince is just really good there. Um, in the first round, Jim Miller had top position most of the round um, and didn't look great. But second round, Vince came out and, you know, controlled him. All through the second and third round, right at the end of the third round, there was a scare. Uh, Jim Miller locked in one of those guillotines, and we thought, shit, he, he's going to catch yeah. him with 30 seconds left or something. <laughs> you know? and I guess they're just so sweaty. Vince just popped his head right out. I, you know, it's desperation. You know, the, the, the last uh, last ditch effort, just try to pop your head out, and it worked. And uh, he survived the round, but it was a huge win for him, man. One of the judges gave him, you know, one ten eight round events. Which is huge over a veteran like Jim Miller that got, that got the most fights in UFC history. You know, this is somebody that when Vince got into MMA, he was probably watching Jim Miller. Um, and so, you know, even though Vince is old, he, like you say, he doesn't have a ton of fights. And I guess he probably started around 2010-11. Um, and Jim Miller's been around for a long time. So it was a huge win for Vince. I was happy to see that. Before that, we had uh, another prospect in the uh, strawweight division, Verna Jandaroba, uh, defeat the little bulldog Felice Herrig with a uh, an armbar real quick, about a minute and a half into the first round. This is the first time we'd seen Herrig in a couple of years, but she came in looking good at the weigh-ins. You know, she was put together, obviously in good shape, uh, not uh, known to be just easy to take down, you know, and uh, and I honestly thought that Jandaroba obviously was going to have the the advantage on the ground but i thought she would struggle to get her down because i thought Herrick would just be a lot more physical than her but no she didn't uh, at all she she took her right down and then she submitted her and um that may be it for Herrick. i don't know they may keep her around to, as like a gatekeeper type but a uh, big win for jane Daroba. it moves her record to 16 and 1 i think now and uh you know uh, rising up the division at 115 yeah, I was saying last week, uh, yeah, I'd like to see where Herrig's contract is right now just because it seems like uh, that that fight to me seemed like a, oh, you're you're on your last fight of your contract and you don't want to renegotiate, so we're going to give you the toughest test we can yeah. to make sure that you have no bargaining power to re, you know, when we when we go to the table again. Um I it was I just didn't didn't like the matchup. Um Jandaroba is, is a finisher. She's got 13 or 14 submission wins, you know, only three decisions. And um, she, she ran right through her, man, a minute and 44 seconds. And she, uh, that chick's kind of scary. I can't tell if she's looking at me or the other yeah. way, I, you know, but uh, she's, a, she's a beast, man. She's, I think she's only got one loss. She's like 15 and one or something. And um, she's, she's, uh, she's dangerous in the division. <clears throat> We had uh, a newcomer, late late, uh, late addition to the UFC, Danny Chavez, uh, get the uh, unanimous decision win over downtown TJ Brown. I was torn on this one because I knew Chavez was a hitter. You know, he had just knocked out Dylan Calla uh, like two weeks before. But, uh, you know, I went with TJ Brown just thinking he would be bigger and have better wrestling. But, no, uh, Chavez was just all up in his shit and a uh, really good, good debut win for him. And I'm pretty sure that guy makes 135. So, uh, you know, that may, that may be a guy that you see dropping down to bantamweight and making some waves. Uh, before that, it was uh, Liviana Souza with a very uninspiring decision over Ashley Yoder. Um, I, this was one the one fight that I just kind of zoned out on. I, I wasn't really thrilled with either lady's game plan. Uh, Souza wins, but it moves to 14 and two 
which is a great record in that 115 division. But same time, I, I mean, I don't think she really raised her stock much. Yeah, I was kind of like you with that fight as far as, you know, it wasn't a great fight, so I wasn't, you know, super captivated, I guess. But at the end of the fight, I just felt like Ashley Yoder had done enough. And um, then, you know, Sosa gets the decision. And I saw some some tweets and stuff from Yoder's uh, coach later just showing, like, the, the significant strike difference, the control time difference, and all that stuff. And by the numbers, there's no way that Sosa won that fight. Yeah. Uh, so that one was wild because one judge, it was 29, 28 for two judges and one judge gave Sosa all three rounds. Um, so I, that was, a, a tough, tough judging, I think on, on that one. Um, but yeah, I think both those girls are tough, man. I think that, you know, the wrong move with either one and you're, you're in danger. And, um, they were both just kind of fighting to win or fighting, fighting not to lose rather than fighting to win, I guess, uh, is what they say. Um, but I was super impressed with, with Danny Chavez, man. You know, he, he came out and, and took it to T.J. Brown. I think T.J. Brown missed weight, uh, and Daniel Chavez said, I'm going to make you pay for that, and he did. Early prelims, uh, we had four UFC debutantes uh, in fights that you would probably more likely see on a contender series, I would think, but they got the call-up. Chris Dalkus uh, gets a knockout win over Parker Porter in the heavyweight division, four minutes, 28 seconds. Uh, the much quicker, ad, more agile guy. He looks like a guy that could give us some interesting fights. Uh, Parker Porter, not so much. And then the main or the first fight of the night ended up being uh, probably the fight of the night. It was awesome. Kai Kamaka took on Tony Kelly, featherweights, won a unanimous decision. Uh, both guys look good. They both like threw and ate some heavy shots and went for it for all 15 minutes. Props to both guys for uh, getting the night started on a, on a high note. So I, I kind of disagree with you on the Parker Porter. I was super impressed with how his fat ass was moving around in that case. <laughs> Dude, he was so light on his feet, throwing high kicks. Uh, I feel like he did some spinning back kicks, man. Um, he was he was wild, and he was game, but Chris Dawkins is just so so much longer and, and bigger. But neither neither guy is a physical specimen by any stretch no, of the no, imagination. No. Um, the ceiling is limited. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> there's not going to be a – those guys aren't going to be fighting for contender fights anytime soon, but uh, I think it was a fun fight. I, I thought this card altogether was great. I mean, even the worst fight on it, I think, was Souza and Yoder, but it was a super technical fight, um, and you know, it just wasn't a ton of action, but it was it was a very defensive technical fight. Uh, but the, the first fight of the night, man, that the comic was Kamacha, whatever his name is, Kai Kamaka, yeah, Kamaka. Uh, and Tony Kelly, man, they they threw down. Tony Kelly was was not coming in there and getting put away, and uh, Kai Kamaka was going to give it everything he had to get it, to get a finish. But um, Kelly made a made a, a damn good show for himself, and uh, they that that fight definitely uh, deserved the the little bonus that they got. It's nice to see those guys get the bonuses too. You know, it's like when you, when you see Stepe and DC get the bonus, like. Those guys, their disclosed pay is seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and then oh, they got an extra fifty grand. But these guys who are, you know, they're twelve and twelve, well, you know, right. they're they're doubling their win and show money in in this bonus. You know, that's a that's massive. That's life changing for some of these guys. And uh, I think Kaikamaka even said something about you know um, this this you know if he gets the bonus that he wouldn't have to work anymore that he he would be able to to stop his day job and. Um, you know that it's it's crazy to to see kids like this that are still working forty hour weeks and and are this talented and you know with only being able to commit part time to the sport, um, you know this kid with a with a full time, uh, full training camp is going to be a monster. That'll do it for our coverage of this past weekend's UFC 252 pay-per-view event. Looking forward to our final segment of the show here. We'll look ahead to this weekend's action real quick. We'll cover this Bellator 244 show. That's going down Friday, August 21st. Uh, it'll be on Paramount and DAZN. Uh, speaking of which, Emily King getting ready to go back to Bellator on September the 11th. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. Uh, anyway, uh, this one uh, is headlined by uh, Ron Bader taking on Vadim Nimkov in what the books have uh, essentially as a pick and slightly leaning towards Bader. Uh, we also have another heavyweight uh, act, two, two heavyweight fights at the top of the card. Uh, we've got uh, Valentin Moldovsky 
taking on big country Roy Nelson. Moldowski's nearly 10 to 1 favorite there. Uh, we got Julia Budd on the card, so that's interesting. She's a really big, nearly 10 to 1 favorite over Jesse Miele. And then uh, it'll be John Salter, uh, used to be in Nashville, so a little Tennessee roots there. John Salter taking on Andrew Capel. Uh, anything uh, jumping off uh, to you besides uh, the main event here for this one? It's wild to me just just to, to just to hear that that somebody is a nine to one favorite over Roy Nelson is yeah. kind of unbelievable. I mean, you know, Roy's Roy's not the best fighter in the world by any stretch of the imagination, but Roy is ten times better than him. Yeah, Roy is a super dangerous fighter. I mean, you know, he's got tons and tons of experience. He has the grappling chops if he want if he ever decides to pull him back out. Uh, he just likes to, to strike, and when you look at his record. In the last few years, I think he hasn't won in three years. He hasn't had a stoppage in four years. Um, both these guys, they're coming off of their both of their last win is over the same guy, Jay Avila or whatever his name is, Avila. Um, so, Baldikov is is definitely not faced the caliber of competition that that Roy Nelson um, is or has seen. So it's wild to see that big of a favorite. I, I almost want to go throw some money on Roy Nelson just because that that just seems wild to me um i think it's cool that to see nemkov getting their respect that i think he deserves um it's been a while since somebody especially in that weight class i think has been that close of a, a uh on the on the books with ryan bader over there um and i think it's gonna be an interesting fight nemkov is an all-around fighter you know he's complete he can wrestle he can strike um so i think ryan bader is gonna have his hands full in that one for sure um, and the other one that I think is going to be an interesting fight is uh, the John Salter and, and Andrew Koppel fight. Uh, Koppel's the number one uh, light heavyweight in the U.S. Uh, you know, that's pretty much outside of international guys or whatever. You know, UFC type people are not not in that mix. But um, and he's number two at, at middleweight. So, um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's a step up in competition for him, but it'll get him uh, ranked on the national level. Um, and and Salter has Salter's got the chops to to show him uh, show him the ropes for sure. All right, and Saturday we move on to UFC action. This is uh, UFC Vegas number seven Saturday night. This is uh, on ESPN proper. It looks like you can watch it on ESPN Plus too, but it'll be on free ESPN. Uh, looking at the main event of this one, it uh, to me this is kind of a Kind of a one-fight car, I guess, too, if you consider the co-main event with us being having a local interest in OSP. But beyond that, man, it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of contender series ish. Uh, but the main event here, man, we've got a, the, a fight that's been put off now a couple times, got postponed from the COVID, but now it's going to finally happen. It's the bantamweight debut of Frankie Edgar taking on Pedro Munoz. It's going to be a good fight, man. I, I'd be really interested to see how Frankie Edgar does at 135. Everybody always said. Frankie, you got to move down at 155. He still was successful and got to 45. Still telling him he needs to move down. He was still fairly successful, except for just the very elite knocking him off. We'll see if Pedro Munoz falls in that class or not. Now, this will be a situation where I'm I'm interested to see. You know, Frankie, he was obviously very quick at 45, 55, at 35 speed kills. Will Pedro Munoz, who's you know in the prime of his life at 33 years old, have that speed and quickness advantage over Frankie Edgar? If that's the case, it could be interesting here. Uh, what do you? What's your take? It's, Frankie Edgar's a, a pretty big dog, um, like two and a half to one underdog in this fight. Munoz is is a tank at that 135. You know, I think his striking is is very dangerous in this fight. Frankie's gonna have to to utilize the wrestling and, and, and get that, uh, going pretty quick. Um, you know, I think that if he, if he tries to stand there and, and trade with, with Munoz, it's, it's going to be a long night. Um, but I think that Frankie can take him into deep waters and, and, you know, that's Frankie's Frankie is the underdog, you know, he's, he's the guy that has always been fighting somebody that's supposed to beat him, somebody bigger than him, somebody better than him. Uh, and just, finds a way to to keep himself amongst the the top at all times so um i'm looking for a, a frankie upset in this one yeah that I, I think he's certainly a live dog at those odds especially i have to take a crack at it you know yeah main event uh knoxville's own osp over in st Prue with an opponent change here was uh 
originally supposed to fight a Russian guy. Uh, let's see. Originally, it was supposed to fight against uh, Shamil uh, Abdurakimov or something along those lines. Uh, no, Shamil Gabs, Gamzatov. But I guess Gamzatov couldn't make it here and such. So now it's certainly a different opponent, uh, certainly a different style. And now he'll be taking on Alonzo Minifield. Now, Alonzo Minifield. You know he's he's one of these contender series guys. He and I can't I can't believe this, but Alonzo Minifield's the favorite here, minus one twenty five, a slight favorite over Ovens. And I just I don't see it like that at all. I'm I'm on Ovens all day long here because uh, I think that Minifield is obviously going to be a handful in the first round. He's he's got the he's one of the few guys that can match Ovens's athleticism and explosiveness. So he's certainly dangerous. However, he has not shown that he can match Ovens's gas tank. And, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, unless his gas tank has really been shored up over the last two months since last time he fought against Devin Clark, where it looked like he was going to knock Devin Clark out really, really quickly. But then he didn't knock him out and, and he was completely spent. And, you know, I was on Minifield that night and really regretting it in the second round because you could tell that he was just done. Now, that's obviously an area you would imagine he will will address in the interim. But, you know, Ovens to me has just been in there with. A much higher level of competition. There is, without a doubt, this will be the the toughest fight the Minifield has ever seen by far uh, in his in his young career. I like Ovin St. Pru. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Minifield's getting launched into um, a big fight here, coming off of a loss, uh, like you said, and that it's it's because of his knockout power. You know, it's been it's only been two years ago that we saw him on the Contender Series. He's had three fights in the UFC and they're giving him events, you know, a guy that, uh, at one time fought John Jones for the title and, uh, was in the top 10 for forever at, at light heavyweight. Um, it's, you know, it's definitely a huge name that, that, um, that Alonzo could put in his back pocket if he can get past events. But, um, I'm with you, you know, he's got the, the kids got nine fights, um, they're nine wins all by finish. Um, only two of those going outside the first round, and then his one loss is by decision. So, you know, if Ovens can <clears throat> if Ovens can utilize the wrestling, pin him up against the cage, and really try to wear on him early in the fight, um, Ovens is is you know obviously we see it with with the the Von Pru choke, uh, how strong he is when he gets in those positions, and um, when he's on top, he's a nightmare. So, um, I think he's he's a he's going to be a handful for for uh, Alonzo Minifield for sure. Um, but uh, it, it'll be a, a good learning experience for Alonzo either way uh, to be able to fight somebody on this level so quickly. I love Ovens as an underdog here. That to me is, is astounding. Yeah, uh, it's pretty, it's really close, but yeah. Um, the rest of the main card features some Rodriguez action. Mike Rodriguez takes on Martin Pratmiao, light heavyweight, and then Daniel Rodriguez takes on Takashi Sato at welterweight. I uh, don't think that either of these fights have a lot of bearing on the grand scheme of things, but we might see some knockouts. Yeah, it's, that's that's pretty much it. None of these guys are going to be uh, future contenders or anything like that. Um, this is a weird card, man, just just – Looking over here again, you know, if, other than outside of a couple fights off of the main main card, you know, it's really guys that have you never heard of. Um, yeah, running down the undercard here, we'll, we'll just go ahead and do it all, man, because I'm just going to see if yeah, there's, just, there's nothing. There's yeah. not much here. Maria Agapova versus Shannon Dobson. Now, Agapova is a prospect that I feel like the UFC is grooming. They, you know, she ran through uh, Hannah Cyphers real fast. Now they're giving her another very favorable style matchup in Dob in Dobson. So it's obvious who the UFC wants to see win here. Uh, Mizuki Inoue takes on Amanda Limos, a strawweight. Austin Hubbard versus Joe Selecki at lightweight. Now, that one's kind of interesting. Austin Hubbard, of course, last we saw was uh, putting Max Roskopf on his stool and in which he never uh, returned to, to action. There was a lot of controversy there. So that's kind of what he's best known for, but he, you know, a lot was taken away from him there. I felt like I thought he looked really good and uh, he's fought tough competition up to this point. Joe Selecki out of the Myrtle beach area there with fitness edge, uh, a good uh, team that we've had out here at Valor many times. Uh, he's, he's super tough, good BJJ black belt. That'll actually be a sleeper fight. Uh, Isaac Villanueva, originally supposed to fight uh, uh, Jorge, Jorge Gonzalez, who has withdrawn and been replaced by Jordan Wright at light heavyweight. Carlton Minus from Alaska fighting takes on Matthew Simmelsberger in 
what is I don't see how that's a UFC fight. Uh, and then Timur Valiev, who was supposed to fight Jamal Embers a few weeks back, but had some situation, is now going to finally make his debut from the PFL against Mark Striegel. Any of this shit matter? Um, did you mention, I didn't hear, maybe I just didn't catch it, or maybe this has gotten taken off, but is Dwight Grant and Callan Bourne still on the card? Um, it was supposed to, uh, Dwight, Dwight, uh, Grant was, um, they'd moved him to fight against, uh, against Jared Gooden from Atlanta oh. and Jared Gooden pulled out this week. So that whole fight's off. Oh, that sucks. Dwight Grant, uh, is legit, man. Um, Austin Hubbard and, and Marie Agapova are, are really the, the only things that I'll be, uh, watching, uh, just, I feel like Joe Selecki was training with, um, Joe Lozon for a long time. Yeah, he's from up that way originally in New Jersey, and then he moved to Myrtle Beach. But he's, okay. He, he still goes back up there for training. Okay, okay. That's, that's who I thought it was. Um, that I think that'll be a, a, a good fight. Joe Selecki is, is a tough cat. Um, and Austin Hubbard, you know, like you said, he had a a, a guy who was supposed to be a, a top prospect, and uh, he shut that down real quick in his last fight. Um, so that'll be a fun one, and, and Agapova is somebody to keep an eye on at flyweight. Uh, I think she's she's somebody the UFC will definitely be trying to build on and, and make a star out of. She's um, she's a marketable kid. All right, and that's uh, UFC on UFC Vegas Seven. It's going down this weekend, Saturday night. Uh, ESPN, ESPN Plus. We'll recap that next week as well as check in with uh, the both ends of the main event. For the Valor 72 card, uh, we'll talk to Tank Wilson and also Logan Dean next week. Uh, Till then, I guess that's going to do it for another week. For my co-host, Justin Watson, this is Tim Loy signing off for another edition of the Valor Hour. This is an MMA report with Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan. Quick fix on Radio Influence. You mentioned earlier uh, you had a little teaser about light heavyweights, which was clearly in relation to Ryan Bader. What was that? Yeah, is he the best? Is he the best light heavyweight in the world now? Is my question. If he was in the UFC, would he win the light heavyweight championship now? That's a good one. Um... Yeah, I don't. I <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think it comes down to how well Reyes performs against Jan. Because I would, I would take Bader over Blockwitz. It, it, I would to take me, Bader. It's a debate of Bader versus Reyes. Ooh. Honestly, my gut instinct is telling me Bader, which is that—that's my gut instinct too. Um, that's a good one, man. That's a good one. Yeah, I was I was just thinking about that, you know, three in the morning as I was at work today. I I, I thought it on my I, I can't text him now, he's asleep, but <laughs> I was I was like, No, with John Jones giving up the title, I mean Ryan Bader might be like, Can I come back? <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I wanna be champion. I mean the only thing I would say is Bader is thirty seven years old. Um could could the younger, you know, athleticism of Dom Reyes give him issues, but man, that's a great one. I, I look, I think people are going to underestimate Vadim Nimkov in this fight. I don't think Ryan Bader will. I do expect Ryan Bader will. Man, that's a that's a really good question. Um, in, in terms, yeah, of I that. mean, the, the the question might be Vadim Nemkov after uh after the Bellator card. Who knows? Like, like Vadim's a live dog in this fight. Dude's a killer. That's, Dude's a obsane. That's a great. Uh, it's a great question if you're Scott Coker that people are, are, are debating that question. That's, that's a really good question. Be interested yeah. to hear what our listeners think about that. The MMA Report with Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.